Well, as Abby mentioned, today is the final message in our seven-part series, Love the Berg. And uh, that's the reason that so many of us are wearing our Love the Berg shirts. You can still get one over in the cafe if you want to join the cool kids and have a shirt like this. We'd love to have you do that. And while the series is ending today, this theme is going to continue on throughout the year and even beyond that. We'll continue as a church to focus on making sure that people know what we as a church love, what we as a church are for, rather than what we hate, rather than what we're against. Too many churches are really clear on what they're against. They're really clear on what they hate. But we want people to know that we love the Berg, that we are for them. We're for the people of the airport area because God is for them and God loves them. And uh, in this series so far, we've said that we love our community and we love families and we love people who are hurting and that we love disconnected people and lost people. But I didn't want to finish the series without saying one other important thing, and that's this. We love you. We love you. We love those who are already committed here at Impact, those who are already attending Impact. We love the people who call this church their church. And some have called this church their church for longer than we have called this church Impact Christian Church. You've been here a long time and we love you. And some have raised their kids here and now are watching as their grandkids find Jesus here. And we love you. And some have been here a little less time, but you are letting God love you and love others through you here as a part of our ministry, and we love you too. And some have given, and they've served, and they have sacrificed to move forward uh, in what God is calling us as a church to be and to do, including buying this property and moving here, and we love you. And some are pretty new. Some have found us in the last few months or the last few years, and you're excited to be a part of a dynamic and growing church that is doing big things for Jesus, and we love you too. And let me be more personal. I want you to know I love you. I love you. If you have received an email from me or a letter from me, it probably has signed off with the words, I love you and I love being your pastor. And that's not just a tagline for me. That's really the truth. I recently finished my first 10 years as your pastor. And as we move forward into the next season of our ministry together, I want you to know I really do love you. And Being your pastor is one of the highest privileges that God has granted to me. And it isn't just me. Our leadership team loves you. Our staff and our elders really love you. I I wish you could hear how they talk about you and how they pray for you. Every month our elders have an extended time of prayer where we go over the prayer requests that you have submitted. And I, I wish you could hear the compassion and the love that they use as they talk about those requests, as they pray for you. I wish you could hear our staff talk about you and pray for you because we all love you. And it might seem like this could be a really short message because that's what I wanted to communicate. We love you. 
And it seems like I've done that, but it's not going to be a really short message because I have more that I want to talk to you. I don't want to just tell you uh, flippantly that we love you. I want to explain to you how much we love you because sometimes loving you can be a deeper thing and maybe even a more uncomfortable thing when you love somebody truly. And so in the time we have left, let me point out how much we love you and in the process challenge you in your relationship with God as you pursue God and as you unleash compassion and as you build community. First, I want you to know we love you too much to let you stay immature. We love you too much to let you stay immature. The author of Hebrews was writing to people that he loved, people who were followers of Jesus, and he loved them, but he was really concerned about them. He was concerned about them because they seemed to be staying immature. Look at these verses from Hebrews chapter 5. I'll start with verse 12. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, for, uh, who through training have skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, these words might seem harsh. They might seem like a scolding from this author, but I don't think that they were meant that way. I think these were words that were spoken from a heart of love. He is saying to them that they had been following Jesus long enough that they should be teachers by now that they should be feeding others the word of God, but instead they were demanding to be fed. They were demanding to be taught. He said that they even needed people to give them the most basic teaching again, baby food instead of solid food. And too many Christians seem to stay immature in their faith for years and years and years. And this whole thing about being fed is a really common thing. It's common for people to not really grow in their faith. And they'll complain about not being fed and they should be feeding others themselves and they should be feeding themselves through Bible study and through building community, through growth groups. And too many Christians just seem to be comfortable staying immature in their faith and sometimes it goes on for years and can I tell you sometimes it isn't their fault sometimes it isn't their fault I mean some churches have actually taught that the Bible is too hard to read and too hard to understand on your own and some pastors seem to communicate that it takes a seminary degree to really understand the Bible and while both of those messages are absolutely not true they've caused many Christ followers just to sit back and wait to be taught. They have come to expect the pastor or a priest to be their primary source of teaching, to be their primary source of knowledge. But you really can understand through Bible study and prayer and wise counsel from others everything God wants you to know 
and to do. Let me say that again. You can understand fully everything God wants you to know and everything God wants you to do through Bible study and prayer and wise counsel from others. You can grow mature in Him. You can learn how to feed yourself spiritually and how to research your questions and to seek answers and to really find them. At an impact, we love you too much to let you stay immature. And that's why we put such an emphasis on growth groups around here. Growth groups help us to mature physically or spiritually, just like our families help us to grow and mature physically. And that's a family thing, and it's a group thing. In our families, it happens very naturally. When my brother learned to walk, my parents taught my brother how to walk. And then when it came time for me to learn to walk, my parents... And my brother taught me how to walk. Now, my brother's uh, contribution to that was usually by taking a toy or taking away my food, and I had to figure out how to get up and chase after him to get back my stuff. And then when my sister got to the time when it was time for her to learn to walk, my parents and my brother and I all taught her how to walk. That's the way that families tend to work. And that's what happens in growth groups. It's a place where other people gather around you and teach you what you need to know. It's a place where you will learn both biblically and experientially. Sure, the Bible teaching is a huge priority. What we teach about the Bible is a priority. But building communities with, community with others who are also trying to grow and mature in their faith is also key to us becoming stronger and more mature. Others ahead of us spiritually can help us navigate the next steps of our growth process, and we can help others to navigate the, their next step also. And maturing in Christ also involves serving. That's why our growth groups have as a part of their process uh, an opportunity to serve together in projects throughout the year. But part of your maturing process is for you to join a ministry team, for you to serve Jesus with others. That is a part of what will help you to grow. So at Impact, we are going to express love for you by helping you to grow mature spiritually. And that means we're going to challenge you to get into a group and we're going to challenge you to get busy serving because we love you too much to let you stay immature. Secondly, we love you too much to let you coast. We love you too much to let you coast. Have you ever been riding a bike? Jill and I love to ride bikes this time of year, but you've been riding a bike and then you've just started to coast. I mean, maybe you're going down a hill and you just stop pedaling and you coast a while. I mean, it can be kind of pleasant the wind in your hair or your lack of hair. No effort, just going down the hill, taking in the sights. But sometimes coasting can be a problem and perhaps even cause you to get out of control to wreck your bike if you aren't paying careful attention. And in my experience, coasting spiritually is always dangerous. It's always dangerous. Now, what does it look like when you're coasting spiritually, well, usually you just drift along. I mean, you don't, you show up at church services and growth groups when it seems convenient, 
you just kind of let that happen and you listen to messages and you decide whether you like them or not and you sometimes skip church if the subject isn't something that you like and you become more of a spectator at church rather than a participant and uh, you just kind of watch what happens rather than being a part of the team making it happen. And usually, by the way, when that happens, you begin to be an armchair critic. You begin to notice everything that you think everyone's doing wrong, and you're always thinking you know what should be done, and that you know what should be said, and how it should be said. And so people who are coasting spiritually become apathetic, and they become inconsistent and uninvolved and they become negative and critical and usually if they keep coasting they end up drifting further and further and further away from Jesus and further and further away from his church you've seen that happen haven't you people who were once key and committed and involved have just kind of drifted away and then they've drifted away from their faith because it's dangerous to coast spiritually. And here's the thing. No one sets out to do it. No one says, you know what I think I'm going to do? I, I think I'm just going to coast spiritually. Everybody starts out with energy, starts out committed. And so how does it happen? What are the reasons that people start coasting? Well, one main reason that people start coasting is because they think that they've arrived. This is big for people who have been Christ followers a long time. They think that they are already spiritually mature. They think that they have heard all of the sermon topics that they're going to hear. They already know what's going to be said before it's said, so they don't really need to listen. And they think that they um, have already done their time serving. Sometimes they'll say it just that way. You know what? I've served for years. I've done my time. Now it's somebody else's turn. And so they step back from serving. And they think that they're already spiritually mature. So they stop going to growth groups. And they just start to coast spiritually. Another reason people coast spiritually is they get distracted by other things. It could be a hobby. It could be kids' activities. It could be fixing up a house or traveling or any number of things. But they turn their attention on those things. And when they do that, they begin to coast spiritually. Let's look at one more reason that people start to coast. It's pretty simple. They let life happen to them rather than taking charge. That's kind of the definition of coasting, isn't it? I mean, you just let the momentum carry you along. Spiritually, this may mean that you just kind of follow after a friend or a strong voice and you do what they do. And if they're moving towards Jesus, that tends to work out fine and move you towards Jesus. But when they're not, when they're one of those negative voices, it just moves you in the wrong direction. So coasting spiritually isn't a good thing. And we love you too much to let you coast. So what's the opposite of coasting? Well, it's moving forward intentionally. 
intentionally moving forward. Look at these verses from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Bodily exercise is all right, but spiritual exercise is much more important and is a tonic for all you do. So exercise yourself spiritually and practice being a better Christian because that will help you not only now in this life, but in the next life too. We want you to be spiritually healthy, and that means that you have to focus on it. You can't just coast And because we love you too much to let you coast, we will continue to encourage you to be intentional, to figure out what your next step is and to take it. So figure out your next step and take it. For years at Impact, we've talked about this. For years, this has been a key part of who we are. And we want you to take your next step spiritually. And we all have a next step. No matter whether you have walked in here to church for the first time in your life or whether you have been a part of this church for nearly 50 years, all of us have a next step. And for some, that is to just begin their journey with Jesus. And for others, it's getting into a group. For some, it is starting to serve or starting to serve again. For some, it's letting Christ give you the strength to overcome that sin habit that's been holding you back. And if you aren't sure what your next step is, that's why every week after every service, we have someone at the Next Steps Canopy who will help you with that. Uh, They will pray with you. They will talk with you. They will counsel you and help you to discover your next step and take it. If your next step is getting involved, we have our Action Step booth every week where you can Uh, go and where you can get plugged in to serving and into a ministry. And so if you don't know what your next step is, we have resources for you because we want to help you with that. But here's the thing. Many of you already know what your next step is. And you've probably known it for a long time. You know exactly what your next step is, but you keep delaying taking it. You think, you know, I know I need to get in a growth group, but I think I'll wait till after summer and then get in in the fall, or uh, I'll wait and to get to begin serving until after my kids finish their sporting season or whatever. And you know what you should do, and you keep delaying doing it. Do you know another word for that? Coasting. You're coasting. And it's time for you to stop coasting and start being intentional about your next step. And at Impact, we want to help you to be very intentional in the areas that we see in our vision. We want you to be very intentional as you pursue God and as you unleash compassion and as you build community. And I'm guessing your next step is somehow connected to one of those three areas. And all three of these vision areas are about your relationship. Pursuing God, obviously, is about your relationship with God and becoming stronger in your relationship with Him. And unleashing compassion is about your relationships with other people who are hurting and uh, who are lost. And building community is about your relationships with others that will help you grow or that God will use you to help them grow. So becoming intentional in these areas as you live out this vision that our leaders feel 
feel God has called us to as a church and as individuals will help you to stop coasting. And it helps you to intentionally obey him. It helps you to intentionally obey our theme verse for the rest of the year. You remember those verses? Let's look at them again. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Do you hear the intentionality of those verses? Following Jesus in the manner that Jesus wants you to follow him means that we work hard, that we serve enthusiastically, that we're never lazy, that we're always ready to help people in need. And that is anything but coasting. And I'm not sure where we ever got the idea that following Jesus was about coming and sitting passively in a church service. I don't know where that idea ever came from. Uh, It's not. It's about worshiping passionately and pursuing God's direction and desire for my life. And it's about him absolutely revolutionizing how we act and how we... uh, treat other people. It's about building community with them in such a way that they're encouraged and they're cared for. And it's about giving up what is comfortable for us and completely spending ourselves uh, in serving people that Jesus loves and unleashing his love and compassion towards them when they're hurting or when they're helpless. And all of those things are anything but sitting passively in a church. They're very active, and I'm praying that we become even better at these things as we move forward into this next season of serving Jesus in this community together, because we love you too much to let you continue to coast, and honestly, some of you have been coasting for a while. It's time for you to become intentional. One last one. We love you too much to let you stay lost We love you too much to let you stay lost. Can I remind you? At Impact, we really do believe in hell. That might seem obvious, but it's not in most churches. Even churches that say they believe in hell don't seem to be concerned about the people that might be going there. But we really do believe in hell. And I know it's not a pleasant thing to talk about or to think about, but it's something the Bible teaches very clearly. It teaches that people who are without Jesus are lost. Not just that they're wandering aimlessly, that they don't know where that they are or where they're going, but if that they die without turning to Jesus, that they will end up spending eternity separated from the God who loved them and created them. They'll end up spending eternity suffering in a place called hell. And we believe that passionately. And so as a church, we have to do something about that. As a church, we have to be about rescuing those who are lost. And so if you're here today and you aren't absolutely sure that you will go to heaven when you die, we love you too much just to be polite and quiet about this. We love you too much to let you stay lost. There's a verse in Hebrews 12 that I take very seriously. It keeps me awake some nights. Here it is from Hebrews 12. 
try to live in peace with everyone and try to keep your lives free from sin anyone whose life is not holy will never see the lord be careful that no one fails to get god's grace it's that phrase it's that last phrase that keeps me awake at night be careful that no one fails to get god's grace or other translations just say simply see to it that no one misses out on the grace of god i don't want anyone to miss out on the grace of god what is the grace of god well it's his offer of salvation to people who are lost it is his undeserved mercy it's the difference between being lost and separated from god for all eternity or being adopted into god's family and saved by his love and scripture tells us that god doesn't want anyone to be lost he wants everyone to come to salvation and so that's what we want as a church also we say it this way we want impact to be a hard place to get to hell from we want this to be a hard place to get to hell from we love you too much to let you stay lost so how do you go from being lost to found well if you look back up at the, that scripture that we just read from hebrews it seems to say that we have to keep our lives free from sin that if our life isn't holy if it isn't pleasing to god we will never see god and that sounds very discouraging doesn't it but let me point out there are two ways for you to keep your lives free from sin there's two ways for you to do that. The first way to keep your life free from sin is pretty obvious. It's just this, never sin. Just never sin. It's that simple, isn't it? I mean, from the day you're born till the day that you die, never sin. Not once. Never ever tell a lie. Never ever lust. Never ever have a hateful thought. Never ever break a law. Never ever sin in any way. Anyone else have a problem with that one? Yeah, me too. We all do. And the Bible clearly teaches that we all have a problem with this. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 3. It says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Now, I looked up that word everyone in the Greek language. It's a very interesting word in the language that the Bible was written in. The word everyone, you know what it means? Everyone absolutely all of us 100 percent of people everyone has sinned and fallen short of god's glorious standard look at the next verse from first john chapter one it says if we say we have no sin we are fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us the truth is the first option is not an option at all because all of us have already messed it up. We have all already sinned. And if we say that we haven't sinned, we're fooling ourselves. We're not speaking the truth. So since we've all messed up the first way of keeping our lives free from sin, the second one becomes vitally important, and that is to receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. Look back at that verse from 1 John 1. It says, if we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us. But 
if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. If we confess we are sinners, if we trust God to do what is right, he will forgive us. He will cleanse us from all of the wrongs that we have done. And that's how our lives become free of sin. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, forgiveness doesn't really mean that my life is free from sin. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. That's what the passage says. He cleanses us from all the wrongs we have done. I have this habit of spilling on my shirt. Almost every meal, I might get all the way through the meal to the last bite, and then the last bite will fall and hit my shirt somewhere. My wife now just looks at me and shakes her head when it happens. She's been watching it happen for 41 years now. She just shakes her head. We had friends, by the way, who set a rule for their boys. They said their boys were not allowed to date until they stopped dropping things on their shirt. It's probably a really good rule if you have kids, but I still wouldn't be dating because I drop on my shirt all the time. You know what I'm thankful for? Stain remover. I don't know who invented it, but I'm glad they did. I'm really thankful for stain remover. I spill on my shirt, and then when we do laundry, we just use the stain removers, and the stains are gone. And that's what happens when I sin. When I sin, the Bible says Jesus' blood cleanses me of all my sin. It's stain remover for sin. The blood that flowed from his veins when he died cleanses my life from sin when I trust Jesus. So now when God looks at me, he doesn't see the filth of sin. He doesn't see the stains of my sin. Instead, he sees the pure and holy blood of Jesus. My life is not holy because I am holy. It's holy because I trusted Jesus and God sees his holiness instead of my sinfulness. My life is free from sin because Jesus made it that way. So how do you get that? How do you get Jesus to wash away the stain of sin in your life? Well, you trust God to always do what's right. That's what the passage says. And you need to depend on him completely. But the Bible also seems to say we need to respond to him. And it gives us several ways that we need to respond to him. Let me just review them for you. And uh, if you have questions about them, we can answer those questions a little later too. But First of all, you believe in him. You believe everything the Bible says about Jesus and everything the Bible says about you. You believe that God loves you. You believe that you're a sinner, but you believe that because God loves you, that he paid the price for your sin through Jesus and that your sins can be completely forgiven and canceled and the stain taken away by Jesus. You believe in him. Secondly, you turn towards God and away from your sin. The Bible calls that repentance. Repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is being sorry enough for my sin that I'm willing to change my life and get rid of the sin in my life. And then next you go public 
with your faith. You let others know that you believe in Jesus and that you're trusting him to save you and forgive you. And that's done initially when we ask a person if they believe, but then it's done for the rest of our lives as we announce to others our faith in him from time to time. And then lastly, you express your trust in him by being baptized. Baptism is where, according to Scripture, you come into contact with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is where the blood of Jesus is applied in your life. It's where you say to God and to all who are watching uh, that just like Jesus died and was buried, that you're going to die to your old life of sin. In the baptistry, when a person is put under the water, they're saying that they're dying to who they used to be. They're dying to their sin. They're under the water. They're completely buried. They're not breathing. And when we lift them up out of the baptistry, just like Jesus walked out of the grave alive again, when we lift them out of the baptistry, they are taking their first breath in a new life, living for Jesus. Jesus. That's one of the pictures of baptism. There's another picture of baptism, and it's the picture that we have been using, that we have been talking about, that we talked about earlier. Going into the baptistry is where we are cleansed from our sin. It is the bath that the Bible says washes away our sin. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was turning away from sin and turning towards God for the first time, and uh, he was talking to the person who was helping him. The person who was helping him cross the line of faith said this to him in Acts 22. Now, don't wait any longer. Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, trusting in Jesus to save you. When we're baptized, we are washing away our sins and we're trusting Jesus to save us. So when a person wants to go from lost to saved... They believe and they turn towards God and away from their sin and they go public by announcing that they believe and being baptized to wash away their sin. And we want to give you that opportunity today. If you're here and you're really not sure that you would spend eternity in heaven with him, if you're not sure of your relationship with God, we want to help you. We want to help you to be sure because we love you too much to let you stay lost. And if you're ready to take a step towards Jesus, in a few minutes I'm going to pray a prayer that will help you. And then when the service ends, I will be waiting at the end of the ramp over there, over by the doors. And uh, I will be waiting there to talk with you, to answer questions, to help you. And the baptistry is ready. It's warm. We have towels. We have clothes. We have private places for you to change. Today can be the day. Today can be your day, the day that you turn from sin and find total forgiveness and total cleansing through Jesus. You can trust him to always do what is right. You can trust him to save you. So let me say it to you again as directly as it was said to Paul. Now don't wait any longer. Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, trusting in Jesus to save you. Today is the day for you. It's the day for you. After the service, meet me at the door, and let's make sure that you leave here free from sin, forgiven by Jesus, because... I love you too much to let you stay lost. Let's pray together, shall we?
Heavenly Father, there are people in this place with many different needs. Some, Father, need the tough love that we can offer to help them to stop coasting spiritually, to help them to grow spiritually. And Father, I pray that you will help them take intentional steps towards you. And I pray, Father, that you will use our church to help them take those steps. But Father, there may be others here that aren't quite confident of their relationship with Jesus. They've never responded in the way that Scripture teaches. Father, I pray today will be the day for them. Father, if there's people in this room with that need, I just pray that they will turn to you now. If you're one of those people, you might want to pray something like this. You might want to say, Jesus, I believe in you completely. I want to trust you completely to save me. I want to turn away from my sinful life and turn towards you and put my sin behind me. I'm ready to acknowledge my faith in you in front of other people and to be baptized so that my sins can be washed away so that I can walk with you. Father, I pray for those that just prayed that prayer. I pray, Father, that you will just bless their step towards you. And I pray, Father, that you will give them the courage to take the step after the service of coming and seeing me and taking the step of completing that process by being baptized into you. And Father, we are so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that you give us a second chance to get it right. And Father, we want to tell you again how much we love you. And Father, we as a church and as individuals, we just want to pursue God and we want to unleash your compassion on others and we want to build community so that together as a church we can just let you love us and love other people through us. And Father, we thank you through the name of Jesus, and we trust him to always do what's right. In Jesus' name, amen.